0: Uh, So, like I said, um, we're going to have some prophetic stuff at the end, which I think might identify one other giant. Um, We'll we'll see. But uh, we are finishing up uh, Kings. This is Lesson 36. So, with time off for good behavior and out of town and things like that, we've probably been almost a year in Kings. And uh, so it's really sad. This is kind of going to be probably a little bit of a heavy uh, message and prophetic word. Uh, But, you know, we need to hear those things. And uh, so I just want to give you some warnings. Make sure you're staying in the spirit and really praying into what you're hearing. But let's start with um, 2 Kings chapter 23. And we're going to do 31 through 35 first. So. Last week, Josiah, that story is one of the, the best as far as seeing a leader bring revival. Yet what is the scariest is that God said, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. It's too late. This nation is going to be destroyed. I appreciate your efforts because of them. You won't see it happen, but judgment on this land is done. So it doesn't matter. What you do at this point and it didn't and we're about to see that that so when I say that when it comes to our country um, I'm concerned I don't want to get to where we cross the line and, and we lose our country and its original purpose like they did and so that's what I mean is like it's like okay well we can have revival for years yet if the Lord has already announced judgment against us it's, it's too late. There's a point where the cup of iniquity is too full, and you guys might even be more concerned with the word I got <laughs> at the end. Uh, I don't think the decision's been made, but we're definitely close. Um, so we have this uh, you know, great man of God that brought revival. He died in battle because he did not hear the word of the Lord through someone that was a pagan. Okay, so we talked about... You have to, humility will hear even from those you dislike uh, and those that don't even know God, right? So you have to make sure that you're hearing Holy Spirit in spite of the package. Well, here in uh, verse 31, we see his son take over. I'm going to call him, well, I think I can pronounce it, Jehoahaz. Is that close enough, baby? Jehoahaz. And uh, he was 23 years old when he began to reign, He reigned for only three months. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bonds at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. So this is the same Pharaoh Necho that told Josiah, Elohim told me to fight the Assyrians. And if you fight me, you're fighting God, and it's going to cost you his life. And he, that was a prophecy, and guess what? It cost him his life. So this is the same ruler. And uh, he laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. Now, I find it interesting. It wasn't Assyria that first led Jerusalem into captivity, nor was it Babylon. It was Egypt. We're full circle. They left Egypt out of bondage, they've been returned to Egypt in bondage. And um, it's kind of like, and I was discussing this um, with the the source of the prophecy uh, yesterday, that calamity and judgment are sudden. So everybody's going about their business, and then all of a sudden, everything is covered with calamity. And uh, so this is a situation where they kept going on, provoking God's uh, patience, provoking him to anger, and now they are back under dominion of Egypt. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah's father and changed his name to Jehoiakim, but he took Jehoahaz away, and he came back to Egypt and died there. And Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh but he taxed the land to give the money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold of the people of the land from everyone according to his assessment to give it to Pharaoh Nico. Now, I never saw this. Uh, I always, uh, and this is what I like about systematically studying Scripture because I did not ever see Pharaoh Nico's role in the destruction of a nation pre-Babylon. I didn't know that that's what occurred. So, just like with Israel, we're seeing a measure of captivity taking place in Judah, and there's a pattern. This is a pattern. So, if you want to see what brings down nations, this is it right here, 1 through 9. Okay, so the first pattern is you have obedience. Okay, obedience equals blessing, prosperity, freedom, etc., God then puts them in their place, right? So once the Israelites, uh, I didn't have much faith that they were going to figure things out because they were gripping about the whole process to begin with, but the next generation, right, went into Israel, took the land, they were established. Number two, a nation forgets God, and they begin to worship other things. He sends his people to warn of the consequences if we don't stop. Next, a lack of peace and strife enters the land, both from enemies within and without. More warning is given by the Lord. Eventually, pieces of the land are plucked out and taken over by the enemies of that nation. Can anyone say West Coast, East Coast? Tribute must be given to the kings of the victorious nation, and taxes go up. People then begin to go into captivity, which also includes debt, Okay, and then eventually the nation falls to another. If you look at what wicked rulers do, is they destroy the economy, because no nation exists without an economy. You can't fund your military. You can't fund your government. You can't have roads. And so every ruler knows you go after the money. Once you get that under your control and the people are now subject to you because you've given them more and more entitlements and more and more handouts, the people are now subject to you in their soul because people fear loss more than anything. And so they now will do whatever you say. Now that's what people that are unsaved are going to be like. Believers should not ever fall into that uh, situation. The idolatry was in full steam in Judah when the decree of judgment was released. No reforms or revival was going to stop it. Don't think that signs and wonders are going to shift America. Or a revival. Revival didn't shift Judah, and signs and wonders just infuriated the Pharisees. What will rescue America is a repentance of the people of God and a grassroots movement that shifts the political tide of this country, which I've got some updates on that. So I'm going to repeat myself and I'm speaking prophetically. Revival and signs and wonders are not going to shift America, it's going to be repentance among the people of God and a grassroots movement that shifts the political tide of this country. There's more of us than them. Unfortunately, we are captive to our own idea of what Christianity looks like and local church (coughs) things while our country is being plundered by wicked leaders that we vote in, either on purpose or by not voting at all. The people of God must be equipped for how to handle political matters and things that might happen to them because of their faith. So in the monarchy of ancient Israel and Judah, the people could have said no. They could have demanded King Solomon stop worshiping other gods. They could have been in the Word. They could have protested. There are many things they could have done, but instead, they began worshiping idols like the king, and it went downhill from there. And you might want to write... Next to that paragraph, institutional Christianity, because I've got a word for that, and you'll want to take note of it, because it's not in your notes. Cultianity, Cultianity yeah. Okay, uh, and the reason I say that, institutional uh, Christianity, the reason I say that is when you look at where our well, we have precedent, kings fear one thing, their head being removed. And we saw that repeatedly with 1100 charters, the Magna Carta, and I think uh, 1215 or 1218, the Great Remonstrance, all of these five documents that were written to keep kings in their place. The kings feared their head being removed. What did they do? They appeased the people with agreement and then continued their diabolical plan of taking control of the money, provoking fear in the people through threat of war and plagues. Does it sound familiar? Okay, so this is why I'm saying the judgment for or against America has not yet occurred, but I feel we're on the precipice. Now, the thing that's interesting with the Lord is that we're at 400 plus years now into his patience. So, America's been around since 1776 officially, 16-something, maybe, what, 15-something unofficially. So, as a country, we're still pretty young, but time is speeding up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, get passive in thinking, well, it took them 400 years here. I don't think we have that much time for us. Okay. So in verse 36 through 37, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Now see this right here, these two verses are why the Lord said no. it, It won't matter because the people's heart is away from them. It's just not going to matter at all.
1: Well, and once that he pronounced judgment on the fathers, he's not a liar. He had to go ahead with that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And uh, so we're going to read a big chunk and just some you know, short discussion, and we'll get into the the um, prophetic aspect. So in 2 Kings 24, 1 through 7, it says, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. And Jehoiakim became his servant for three years, and then he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldeans and bands of the Syrians and bands of the Moabites and bands of the Ammonites and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord spoken by his servants, the prophets. So now there's an overwhelm. There's an ocean of calamity that is coming against these people. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. So even though Manasseh repented, everything he did led to this. Not to mention Hezekiah. Remember, he showed all the gold, all the treasury to the Babylonian envoy. and Isaiah said, because you did that, that will be the nation that will come and take this one. And he's like, well, as long as it doesn't happen while I'm alive. So, according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood that he shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So so Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiakim his son reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come up again out of his land. For the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Okay, so now Babylon is the world's superpower. Babylon started with Nimrod. So we're seeing a maturing of the seed of the enemy and that the righteous people did not maintain righteousness. They did not maintain the ground that they took. Therefore, the world's system is going to overwhelm and flood them and wipe them off the face of the earth, except for a remnant. Assyria was an issue for Israel. Babylon is now the country and an example of the the end-of-the-age battle between good and evil. At this point, Babylon is so powerful that Egypt itself has been subdued by Nebuchadnezzar. What's especially frightening is the innocent blood aspect that triggered the Lord's judgment. We have shed the innocent blood in this country alone. It might be actually 69 million babies now, but for sure 62 million at the... So that's 10 times the Holocaust. And look at the price Germany paid. So in verse 8, Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother name was Nehushtah, the daughter of someone. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Okay, so again, here we go. At the time, at that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of uh, Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants, his officials and his palace officials the king of Babylon took his prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord which Solomon king of Israel had made as the uh, Lord had foretold. So this is the fulfillment of Hezekiah's judgment what was going to happen there but Jeremiah is a prophet during this time and uh, he was also a priest if I'm not mistaken or he could have been so they believe that Helm and some other priests secreted the Ark away. Uh, what, some think it's in Ethiopia to this day at that one church. I don't know if it is or not, but the Ark has never been found since this time right here. Which, what's interesting is Jerusalem fell completely August something. Uh, I've got it written down somewhere. Fast forward to the fall of Jerusalem after the Lord's time. It was on the exact same day. And it might have been August 16th on both of them. I would have to look. God is very meticulous in his details. So he carried away all Jerusalem, all the officials, all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. Now, why did he take the craftsmen? Because craftsmen are one of the weapons of the Lord. Remember, uh, is it Zephaniah or Zechariah? What was God's response? It was to send in the craftsmen. All of us, except for Gigi, have (laughs) craftsmen as our gifting. None remained except the poorest of the land. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon, the king's mother, his wife, his officials, the chief men of the land who took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the metal workers, 1,000, all of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So now bondage is naming the king. Okay? Now, here's one of the problems with this nation, there were too many voices from, air quote, prophets contradicting each other. That's why it's so important for us to hear the word of the Lord ourselves and to use discernment on what we're listening to because if you've got too many people speaking different things and all that is in there is confusion, or is the timing of this word different from this word, and that's what's off? Now, I know towards the
1: end of Second Kings, there's an overlap where that was the time of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And Isaiah is filled with the words of fal- their false prophets. Yep. So I think we talk about the prophets and I think a lot of that is uh, what Isaiah is talking about, Yeah. that they're false prophets.
0: They were contemporaries. Isaiah mainly to Israel, right? Jeremiah to Judah but both of them kept saying stop listening to these people the reason people didn't want to listen to Isaiah and Jeremiah is they were actually fathers that were trying to warn the children we're about to be destroyed people don't want to hear they don't want to hear that but God is faithful if he says something he's going to do it the only way to stop is intercession and even at that point sometimes he's like stop praying It's too late. He told Jeremiah that. He said, stop praying. And Jeremiah wouldn't. He couldn't. Why? Because he loved his nation, right? We're supposed to love America. It ain't evil or wicked or anti-kingdom to love your nation. And so maybe one of the clues with your thought, Kathy, too, is that if the prophets are only saying good things, you might want to question whether they're really a prophet. Because a true prophet, especially to a nation, they will not just give you cheesecake all the time, right? They're gonna make you eat your vegetables, you know, so that may be a sign. Well, and the prophet, if you're going through
1: good times in, in your nation, the prophet's probably gonna say it's not gonna last because why else <laughs> is he even there for it? It's to tell them about what's going to come, not what is right now.
0: And it can also be, because if we take the the idea that prophets are also preachers, right, in the New Testament context, so you have um, prophetic preachers, one of their jobs can be to encourage the people of God in a nation to continue on in good things and to turn their hearts to the Lord. So, now you don't want someone that says they are a prophet and everything is negative.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. You don't want that either. Because that's actually not God. Uh, So you have to, you know, you got to know Him or you're not going to recognize when He's speaking. So you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know,
1: we have at least an advantage as a a New Testament Christian, I'll put it that way, because we have Holy Spirit. We ought to be able to, that should resonate with what we're hearing. Yeah. A lot of times it's not because people aren't listening, but back in the Old Testament, you know. They didn't quite have that
0: advantage. Yeah. One thing they did have, though, was the outline of the word that said a prophet, what they say, will come to pass 100%. And they could have used that as a measurement. For Jeremiah, his came true 100%. And they still refused to listen. You know, so um, now with Jeremiah, I I, want to read this out of the notes. In Jeremiah 27, 12 through 15, to bring some of his context in, He said to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and spoke in like manner, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and you will live. So he's trying to tell them, just do what he says. Don't make a lion mad, right? Just do what he says. Why will you and your people die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence as the Lord has spoken concerning any nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are saying to you, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. It's a lie that they are prophesying to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name, with the result that I will drive you out and you will perish, you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. Now, guess what? They could have chosen their own discipline, they could have kept their nation, been under bondage. The Lord would have worked on their hearts and possibly they would have returned to him. But nationalistic fervor through prophets ended up with the results that could have been prevented. Zedekiah, verse 18, was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years. Now, it's interesting that both of these kings, it's 11 years. 11 represents transition. It also represents rest. But every Christian who says they're going through transition are going through hell. (laughs) But God's in the middle of it, right? So this is uh, definitely a prophetic situation here. Um, Now, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he was cast out from his presence. And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Okay? All right. So here we are at the end of a nation. In the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, 10, okay, so that's judgment, right? The Ten Commandments. For us, it's life, John 10, 10, But for them, it was judgment. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it so the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourteenth month, the famine was so, or fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden. And the Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. They captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah and a passed sentence. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. So that the last image he saw was his children being killed. Uh, so according to what Jeremiah said, he could have died in peace, but instead he decided to not listen to the prophet and... Uh, I mean I don't know if he had the heart of Hezekiah he might not have cared that all of his kids were killed but if he did have a heart I'm sure that was a tormenting image for the rest of his days well if nothing else he knew his line was over. Oh, yeah, absolutely absolutely
1: even if he was just a vain yeah. yeah
0: in the fifth month on the seventh day of the month that was the 19th year of King uh, Nebuchadnezzar King of Babylon Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. Now, notice the author is starting with the house of the Lord. Judgment always starts with the house of the Lord. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city, and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest in the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. Now why? Because the poor will live for fear of survival. They're not going to rise up. They just want to make sure that they have food and a place to sleep, Okay. So that's why you've got to get the intelligentsia, the craftsmen, the uh, intellectuals, the political leaders, the business leaders, all of them have to go to Babylon because you can't keep them in the nation or they will form a way. That's what craftsmen do. They will form a way to solve the problem. So you can't keep them in the problem. you got to take them out of it or they will figure it out. And that's why nations will often kill off those people as well.
1: And uh, I believe in China, when have the, at the re- revolution, was it Mao Zedong? Mm-hmm. They went and killed everyone that wore glasses. Because that was a sign that they were educated and needed to read. Man. Because they did not know. That is crazy. And it was, it was millions of people they killed. And that was exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah. Because they were the educated. They were the ones that knew how to do things. And that was their reasoning. Yeah. I mean, now of course was,
0: we know some people wear glasses, and they, right? You know, well, that's not necessarily but a they intelligence, too but
1: yeah, at, in that era in that culture,
0: to have glasses, to
1: have glasses, unless they were uh, had risen enough and had education to be able to and rights and prosperity. So everybody before. that mm-hmm. wore glasses, you—that was a death sentence. Wow. I thought that, you know, that was one of those one little, uh, that was one of those things that stick in your mind that you're like, woo uh, You know, I don't remember anything else maybe yeah. about it, but I can remember that. Yeah. That's crazy. Thought, you know, wow well, that was that was, that was was their reasoning. You huh. wear glasses, you're dead. Maybe all of us in here
0: except and the Mike. And by the way, the first... The and Mike's super smart, so he'd be able to survive. They, uh, you wouldn't. They took their guns first. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, absolutely. They
1: took their guns first and you have they went to went in disarm. There and, killed, and killed everybody that was educated. Well,
0: or and that's why you know, like a lot of people are like, oh, you know, patting each resources. other on the back of this bipartisan gun bill, right? You've got 15 of the GOP that went with it. Why does that concern me? Because we now have, for the first time in the history of this nation, the GOP going with more regulation toward, gun control. Uh, So it's a a slippery slope. They're not going to come after us personally by showing up at our houses to take our guns because they know we'll use them. What they're going to do is regulate them so much and increase the price of ammunition in them so much that no one can afford to have a weapon.
1: The only thing that encouraged me was the Supreme the GD- Court? No, it was the greeting that John, uh, 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 Texas Senator... Cornyn. Uh, Cornyn. One of the betrayers? Yes. Oh, they booed him for five straight minutes when he went out to do whatever he was going to say. I don't even know if he got to say it. Because Good. Because that was a long... they didn't even show how long it was, what from what I was watching because yep. <laughs> it was just...
0: Probably cost but, him his political career. Uh, well, hopefully. I, I hope so. Okay, now um, Verse 13, so we've got, you know, things are just absolutely destroyed. The house of God is gone. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, and the stands and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service. The fire pans also and the bowls, what was of gold, the captain of the guard took away as gold and what was silver as silver. As for the two pillars, the one sea and the stands that Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these vessels was beyond weight. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits, and on it was a capital of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, a latticework and pomegranates. All of bronze were all uh, around the capital, and the second pillar had the same with the latticework. So God's now divorced his people, and he's left his house to be plundered. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war, and five men of the king's council who were found in the city, and the secretary of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were also found in the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard took them, brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and the king struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in, in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile of its land. Now, in your notes, I've got two scriptures I wanted uh, to bring out. The one is Ezekiel 10, 18 through 19, and then same book, 11:22 through 24. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house, and the glory of the Lord, uh, the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And in 11, the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountaintop And that that is on the east side of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in the vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea to the exiles. Then the vision that I had seen went up for me. So what's happening here? God is giving Ezekiel a behind-the-scenes picture of what occurred. He left his house in stages. And finally, he left it completely. And so because of cherubim and the wheels, those are cherubim are always around his presence. Wherever he is, there's cherubim. That's why what uh, Lucifer did was so egregious. Because a cherubim's role is to guard the presence of the Lord. That's what they do. And cover him. And uh, so basically we're seeing him packing up and leaving his house. So once he left, who's going to take it? The enemy, of course. So in uh, 18, um, or I'm sorry, 22, and over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, he appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahiachim, son of Shaphan, governor. Now when all the captains and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed him as governor, they came with their men to Gedaliah at Mizpah, namely Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah and Jehanan, the son of Korea and Sariah, the son of, I'm tired of saying these names. And Gedaliah <laughs> swore to them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid because of the Chaldean officials. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will be well with you. But in the seventh month, Ishmael and all the other people, the royal family, came with ten men, struck him down, and put him to death, along with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were with him at Mitzvah. Then all the people, both small and great, and the captains of the forces arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. And in the thirty-seventh year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed the king of Judah from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. Now, go over real quick to Jeremiah 29. Now, here Jeremiah is telling them, settle in. Y'all are going to be there 70 years. So you need to build houses. You need to settle in. You need to um, serve the king, and uh, this is where he said, uh, in verse 10, we'll start there, in in Jeremiah uh, 29. This is a letter, it's not in your notes. This is a letter that uh, Jeremiah wrote to the exiles. Uh, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile, now isaiah said the same thing he said can a nation be reborn in a day yes now this is speaking of daniel's work so daniel um obviously an intercessor um began to pray for his nation when he came across the prophetic word that they would be in exile for 70 years his prayers kick-started the movement that would then result in Cyrus sending them back to rebuild their land, right? President Trump was recognized as a Cyrus by Israel. He should have been recognized as a Cyrus by us. We didn't hear and heed the message of grace the first term. Now we're having to have a little bit of some judgment here during this fake presidency. Okay, so he's warning us. He's trying to get us to listen. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the the people of God. He ain't talking to the world. He's trying to get our attention. If you're going to have a nation, you better wake up because there's going to come a point where there will be no nation. Will we have this promise that he'll put America back together? I don't know. I do know People can say, well, you're not Israel, America's not Israel. No, but the very first pilgrims that set their foot on the shores of this country made a covenant with God. He honors his covenant even when we don't, right? So we invited him into this country as a light on a hill. You cannot have a country with our constitution without morality. It will not work. So our job is to restore morality in this country. And that begins with the people of God. You got half the people that say they're Christian that believe in abortion. Do y'all know
1: that? I heard of something very interesting about that uh, recently. You know, we hear this, my body, my choice. And they said, but what you find is that baby has a completely different DNA than the mom. Yep. So if it's her body, it would have the same DNA. Yep. But it doesn't. It's not her body. So it's not her no. body. Uh-huh. And you know, this is the deal where science, they always say, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. Let's
0: follow the science. Which that played a role in their decision. That's right. Because they said, back then, we didn't have the technology right. that we have now. They have clearly verified that that baby is a human in the womb and has all the rights that any citizen has in this country. Now, of course, they gave it back to the states because the right to kill your own child is not enumerated in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right. We have a big job. And to me, this is the saddest thing, and we have to be careful that we don't, because there's two stories here. There are stories of the people of God not listening to the prophets, but there's also the story of a nationalistic fervor that refused to also hear the prophets and got themselves in trouble, and they could have been disciplined within the context of their own land, but instead they wouldn't listen to what the prophet was saying, which all that he said had come to pass, therefore everything was wiped out, everything. So we've got to make sure that our patriotism doesn't trump voice. Doesn't Trump uh, presence, So this didn't have to happen. Their leaders didn't have to be killed. Their nation didn't have to be completely wiped off. Their army didn't have to be decimated. The once great nation was gone, and it did not need to happen. God is faithful even when we are not. So now, before we kill the um, camera, I want to go into the prophetic word I'm gonna read the former one. And again, I'm gonna keep the source anonymous. Okay, so this was a word given, um, now I updated it in June, so I think it was at the beginning of this year. I'll read it in its entirety, and then I'll give you the second part. Okay, so, um, and I can share this with you guys. I might have already, I'm not sure. But to make rash, hasty decisions, shows that you are not trusting the lord but when you rely totally on god you will act carefully and prudently and i'm going to need to borrow someone's passion translation if you have it thank you when wicked leaders rise to power good people go into hiding but when they fall from power the godly take their place there is going to be a great sifting wickedness is coming to full display i saw a stage like from an old theater with huge red curtains and an opening into the darkness of backstage the spotlight was center stage, and out of the deep black darkness came a large, hairy monster. Long brown hair all over his body, a curved posture, and large clawed hands. He came willingly but reluctantly onto center stage into the spotlight for all the audience to see. The Lord is saying, We haven't seen anything yet. The prayers to expose and shed light on what is in the darkness have not exposed anything yet. The things perceived as, quote, revealed by God are simply the monster's mistakes. But when I reveal him, it will be a full show with a packed house. I will bring him to the light, bring to the light everything. Dealings in secret back rooms, undisclosed transactions, plans to pull the wool over the eyes on the righteous will be illuminated. Public health, financial institutions, the IRS, military, it will all be out in the open. It is up to my people to continue praying for these things to be illuminated as they have been, but to add, how do we deal with it when it comes out? Okay? You will know it's the Lord's doing, not from the shaking, but from his illuminating where there is no way for reasonable people to justify what was done. And this is key. When the levy breaks, you have to have a direction. The godly have to be prepared in order to fill the vacancy left from the revealing of wickedness. Prepare in hiding to be proven for when the wicked are removed. I saw Joe Biden wandering around the Oval Office. The room was bright. As he wandered, there was a dark silhouette constantly behind him. The silhouette was so dark it absorbed the light and he didn't know it was there. I felt the Lord saying if he knew it was there, he wouldn't allow it to stay. In the vision, he's wandering around, not because of dementia, but because he has no idea to what to do in his position of authority. He's like a tourist, not a president. A president wouldn't be walking around, he would be at the desk. The spirit is taking advantage of him, okay? Now, I do think he has dementia, but the wandering around is not due to to that. Okay, so any questions on that so far? Okay, now we're gonna read Proverbs uh, 1, 20 through uh, 33. It's one of the scariest, actually, um, of mine, and it has to do with the goodness of God that I've studied as well so far. Okay, so here's the additional information that I got yesterday. Which was 624. No, 625. Let me put the correct date in there. Um, now, no, he got this on 624. My concern is that he got this word in spite of Roe versus Wade, Wade being overturned. When was the. What date? The 24th. Okay. So, and you'll understand what I mean. So this word is tied to the first one okay so in real life this individual was in dc and saw a church it's called national city christian church and they have like the it's like it looks like a government building like it's an old government institution that was taken over to be a church it has like the corinthian pillars and it had the progress flag uh, flowing and it had the um, pride lgbt uh, community Banners flowing, and uh, he you know, he noticed that and thought, Man, that pretty much sucks. Well, then he saw it not, it's in a vision, so he sees the same church in a vision. And he said it was completely decimated, all that remained was the front with the pillars, but it had been, you know, basically just destroyed. And he said there was like a um, a cloudiness over it, like a darkness over it and like vines growing up in it. Like you would see like in scary movies and things like that. And, uh, and that church still exists. So then it shifts to another vision. So he sees that church. It shifts to this vision where he was on the levee, okay? So in reference, when the levee breaks, you have to have a direction, okay? So now he's on the same levee and he saw there was a crack. So he bent down to touch it and it exploded. The whole levee exploded and he was out in the middle of an ocean. And he started swimming and nothing. There was no land, there was nothing. It was just water over all of the earth. And he was like, what do I do now? Where do I go? Because he's, he's bobbing. And, uh, it, and he said everything was sudden, it's like, he goes to touch, bam, he's in the water. He goes to do this, bam. You know, like if, he said everything was like normal and then suddenly it was not. He said the ocean was super still and the sun was setting in the northeast. As he was floating, he saw golden ships that they looked like the pirates of the Caribbean ships, like British uh, ships. Uh, They were very far away, though, and he's looking at one, and then suddenly a giant cord comes out, like tentacles, comes out from the ship, snatches him, and pulls him so fast that he couldn't do anything, and he gets put in the ship. So it's like, bam! He's snatched out of the ocean. He gets on the ship. There's no one else. There's no crew. There's no other people. And he starts looking at the the material of the ship. He said it was made of wood and gold, but it was alive. The ship was alive. The wood was alive. He sees other ships around it with these big cords plucking other people out like he was plucked, placing them on the ships. And that was the end of the vision. So. He asked the Holy Spirit, what does this mean? Because he he said, you know, they obviously, they were separate, but I don't think they are, Um, because the first vision will set the context for the next. Okay, so that, and I forgot to tell him that yesterday, but, so the first part is with the church. Judgment Mm -hmm. begins with the church, but the church here is institutional Christianity. Okay, government institution that became a church, right? (coughs) <coughs> the church closing its doors and the earth is overtaking its shell a gray cloud is dropping its gray shadow over big beautiful buildings this is the first of the sifting this church in particular has two stained glass windows of Garfield and Johnson Presidents Garfield and Johnson and it's located at the city gate for all to see in Thomas Square of Washington D.C. he said uh, the, God told this individual my comfort is ending those who have been in darkness in, in the, the church will not know me. I will no longer be whispering to them. They have made themselves a part of the institution and that will be their inheritance. Now, that scares us the most. This is after Roe versus Wade, guys. We're, there's danger here. Okay? So... Before. Huh? Before? On the same day. Yeah, so it got reversed, and then he has these visions. Which, that surprised him, too, because he's like, I figured we'd be celebrating, and instead the Lord's like, uh-uh, no. Don't don't take this as a sign that things are going to be okay. Now, what kind of sparked this is I got agitated. I'm not going to name them. I might in the future. I haven't decided yet, <laughs> but there's a couple that say they're Christian yet fully support LGBTQ okay they they do the stupid ally Facebook post and they have a stupid rainbow that doesn't belong to that movement every pride month first of all I'm gonna go on a little rant pride month should be the clue okay I uh, it's perverse love the sinner The sin is absolutely perverse. And so you've got people that profess Jesus Christ. Okay. So I was already irritated about that. I find out they have a a child that is gay or something. Which I told Ken, I said, if you ever turn out gay, just know I will love you, but I will never, ever, ever come into agreement with that, ever. Mm -hmm. So how our relationship proceeds, you know, would be interesting. He's like, Mom, I don't want to be gay. But, you know, I was just like (laughs) warning them. So anyway... So I'm like, okay, I guess, you know, if you want to be dumb and think that that's God's will. uh, Then Roe versus Wade gets overturned, and one of the individuals posts Ruth Bader Ginsburg on her story. What's that supposed to mean? That you believe as a person who professes Jesus Christ in killing babies in the womb? Now I question whether you're even born again, because you cannot have the Spirit of God and think that it's okay to rip babies apart in the womb, to literally drill in their brains and suck them out before you pull them, rip them from their mother's womb. The safest place that a baby should be able to live, right? So I'm irritated, and Kent knows these people, so I text him, and that's when I posted, you know, some things on that, I had to look up fancy words and stuff. But anyway, so. A friend goes to, um, I think it was, I don't know, I couldn't hear uh, the individual, but like a vacation Bible school to volunteer or something. And they're excited. Roe versus Wade has been, you know, overturned, and they're talking about their excitement. And Lady goes, oh, no, it's terrible. They took away women's rights. Another Christian. This is what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to comfort you anymore because you've not had my side. You've not been an advocate for the defenseless and for the poor. You've not helped people that are in the bondage of homosexuality and lesbianism. Instead, you have embraced things that I find repulsive. Not only that, but gossip and sowing strife among brethren is also repulsive. It's repulsive that 80 to 90 percent of people in churches are addicted to pornography. It's repulsive that over 50% of people in churches have been divorced. Is divorce always bad? No, I'm not saying that. I know lots of people that need to divorce the people they're married to because they were idiots. Not saying that, but where you can just so easily do away with people, cut them out, right? My sister's been divorced, she needed to. I'm sure you, you know, I'm not gonna say your name. <laughs> you had to, we understand. But there is a problem in the church when things are done that God hates so easily, right? So we've got all of these things, not to mention the money, not to mention how money is handled in the church, and the greed, and the adultery, and the child molestation, and the child trafficking. This is all in the church. Okay? Now... Proverbs one twenty through thirty three in the Passion. Wisdom's praises are sung in the streets and celebrated far and wide. Yet wisdom's songs song is not always heard in the halls of higher learning, but in the hustle and the bustle of everyday life. Its lyrics can be heard above the din of the crowd. You will hear wisdom's warning as she preaches courageously to those who stop to listen. Foolish ones, how, long, how much longer will you cling to your deception? How much longer will you mock wisdom, cynical scorners who fight the facts? Come back to your senses and be restored to reality. Don't even think about refusing my rebuke. Don't you know that I'm ready to pour out my spirit of wisdom upon you and bring to you the revelation of my words that will make your heart wise? I've called you over and over, still you refuse to come to me. I've pleaded with you again and again, yet you've turned a deaf ear to my voice. Now, Kent said, uh, when we were talking about this the other day, that this right here is an answer to calamity. And I told him, I said, the thing that's interesting about uh, in the book of Proverbs, the answer to calamity is to have wisdom, so you never are in it. Or if you are, you get rescued out. So this... Psalm, or this Proverbs goes directly with the vision the individual had, okay? Because wisdom is the answer to calamity. So then, listen to this. Because you've laughed at my counsel and have insisted on continuing in your stubbornness, I will laugh when your calamity comes and will turn away from you at the time of your disaster. Make a joke of my my advice, will you? I'll make a joke out of you. When the storm clouds of terror gather over your head, when dread and distress consume you and your catastrophe comes like a hurricane, you will cry out to me, but I'm not gonna answer. Then it will be too late to expect my help. When desperation drives you to search for me, I will be nowhere to be found. Because you have turned up your nose at me and closed your eyes to the fact and refused to worship me in awe, because you've scoffed at my wise counsel and laughed at my correction, now you will eat the bitter fruit of your own ways. You've made your bed, now lie in it. How do you like that? So wisdom is what gets you on the ship. And there's gonna be people that are gonna be pulled out of the water that will be the leaders to guide the ships. The reason there was no crew or no people is because we're not yet in that time. He said, we've not seen anything yet. So this is the second part. The levee is about to break. A sudden ocean will engulf the entire earth. The righteous will find themselves in the depths. Do not stay in the water. The shaking is still not happened. You will not want to be in the water once the waves begin. He thinks the ships are revolution. Ships of revolution will keep you out of the depth. Those who escape the waves and enter the ships will captain the ships. Prepare to be leaders at this time. The curtains were red previously in the monster vision and the accents on the ships were the same color red. Old time stage, ships old time, ships were good. The Lord's way to get people where they need to be. This individual thinks that ocean is calamity all over the world. So all that to say that we have a big job Um, but what disturbed both me and the the person was they wanted institutional Christianity and that's their inheritance. That's what disturbs me the most. So I was reading this morning, and I know we're going a little bit, well, actually we're right on time. I shortened, um, the worship just for this, um, Okay, so this is talking about Daniel when government becomes God and what's needed to pray for our nation. Um, Daniel was called to heal the history of his people, repairing the past to redeem the present and restore God's dream for the future. To accomplish this, history has to be healed. In other words, to bring the Jews back to the promised land. A stockpile of generational sins which defrauded God's people of their legitimacy before heaven's court and denied them access to their land of promise had to be dealt with. Daniel's intercession propelled him before heaven's court on their behalf. In time, not only were the Jews restored from exile, but King Cyrus even funded their journey home. As you know, he even provided restoration of their temple. The void of clear freedom or promise in an area of life is the clearest indicator there's a problem. And usually, the agony we suffer because of this void is what drives us to solutions. We often want to put a Band-Aid on a problem, but God desires to fix things at a foundational level. Uh, One of the meanings of the individual's name that gave me this word is light. When light touched the crack, everything exploded, okay? As John the Baptist famously observed, the ax must be laid at the root of the tree. Do you discern a cyclical pattern of the same problems from uh, previous generations? History is on repeat. For his people to be restored from captivity, their own history had to be repaired. I think this is very
1: interesting because you know what we're in right now, this year is the year of the 50th anniversary of Watergate.
0: Okay, and then 50 years of fighting Roe versus Wade, so Watergate's 50. I wonder if one of the giants you see is institutional Christianity. I don't know. It's captured people, but they're on God's target, and uh, He's going to destroy it. So our... Because I think I, I just kept...
1: It's more of a feeling than something I heard was the political correctness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, political correctness is definitely a giant.
0: Well, and see the vitriol with which they went after President Trump because he was far, far, far from politically correct, you know, he'd say things we're thinking and we won't say because you just don't say them. And, uh, but, I feel for, for, okay, so if we look at Kings, although it was like running a marathon, you know, going through those books, there's a pattern and it's showing up in our country and but the church is in a pattern too and we're in Babylon and we've got to okay we're about to get where I want to shut off the computer but let me or the phones but let me take you to like how many of you guys know your call why you were born or you have an idea Um, yeah okay So usually, you know, you're kind of excited about your call. Well, years ago, when I was in my twenties, God said, this is your call. This is your lifetime call. I'm like, oh, good, good. What what is it? He said, turn to Jew." Okay. Verse 21, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. What? What? What are you talking about? Okay. So, I think what I want to do, well, first of all, that word is where we're at now. Like, Roberta's, um, the word you had on the spirit of offense, right? Um, (laughs) Quite frankly, there's just no more time for it. And... Uh, I've had it up to here, actually, with it, but that word really impacted me because love is a response to offense. And and so one of the things that love helps you is it helps you to see those that are maybe kind of a little weak in their faith to help them, but others, they're dangerously close to judgment, snatch them out, right? Like the boats. So we, we have um, an obligation to discern, okay, is this one that's just kind of questioning some things and we can help them with the word and prayer, or is this someone that is close to judgment because they're wearing garments of the flesh, and we, make, we can snatch them out, but don't don't start participating in the flesh, right? So uh, that, I think, I, uh, will be the end of the public, and then I'm going to go into the, the private matters if you want to shut everything down Mikey